This morning, you'll get to hear from Casey Lichty. We are so grateful to the Lord for bringing Casey and her family to Bethlehem from Indianapolis on a very hot day like this three years ago. Her husband, Brian, is our pastor for care and counseling at the North Campus, and they have three sons. Jonathan is 18 and just graduated from high school, Thomas 16, and Zachary is 12. Casey has enjoyed her time here, continuing to meet people and exploring ways to get involved. She reports that the whole family considers Minnesota their home, and they love living here. Casey is an aspiring artist who would love to really hone her skills one day. Personally, I think she's far past aspiring and firmly in the accomplished category. <laughs> Casey, would you come up to uh, speak? We're so grateful that you're teaching us. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for the pattern of praise, soul-studying truths and hope that you have given us in the texts for this morning. Strengthen Casey by the power of your spirit as she teaches. Work in us as we listen. Incline our hearts to your testimonies. Open our eyes to see the wonders in your word. Unite our hearts to fear your name. Satisfy us with your steadfast love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for that, Lindsay. And I'm just really grateful to be here today. Um, the study's theme, He Hears Me, is one that's near and dear to my heart. Some of these concepts, I kind of consider them burned with fire on my own heart, you know, in times of trial and desperation where you cling to certain truths. And this is one of those truths for me. So I'm really thankful to be able to share with you today. I think you have the passages in your workbook and we'll be referring to those, uh, but I will be starting by giving you a little bit of context to begin. When you look at an old black and white photograph of family members, what do you think of? For a long time, I used to look at images of my grandparents and my great-grandparents and think to myself, that's nice. I might linger over their facial expressions to see if I could find glimpses of myself or my kids in their facial expressions, or I might give a fleeting thought to their surroundings to see the context in which they were posing. What I didn't do was give much thought to the fact that the faces staring back at me were real people at a real moment in time, with real emotions, going through real situations, facing real joys, trials, and uncertainties. It wasn't until I was going through old pictures in preparation for my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary that I stopped in my tracks and really studied one of the photos. My grandmother was in her early 20s and she was sitting at the piano. She was beaming and laughing. She was wearing a pretty roughly dress and thoroughly enjoying the presence of my dapper looking grandfather who was standing at the other end of the piano. He was also smiling and enjoying himself immensely. Their faces reflected deep joy and anticipation for all the future held for them. Even though I loved my grandparents and really ex uh, respected their insights and wisdom, I realized at that moment that I hadn't previously considered them as young people. With hopes, dreams, goals, and aspirations, I heard what they said and I enjoyed the stories they told, but I didn't place those things in a context of their life's experience. 
Similarly, it wasn't until I was an adult that I began to fully understand that the passages we read in scripture were written by and about real people with real life experiences. Life experiences that are often strikingly similar to our own. Our lesson this week studied prayers by Hannah and Mary. These two women prayed beautiful prayers of worship that are full of word pictures that exalt and magnify a great big God. And yet they didn't write or sing those prayers in a vacuum. They didn't just magically understand God's character and instinctively manufacture worshipful songs and words to share with the people around them. Instead, they experienced hard, scary, frustrating, heartbreaking things that informed and inspired their prayers. The ways they encountered God and his faithfulness in the midst of trial and blessing informed and inspired those words. Just like black and white photographs from previous generations, these prayers captured a piece of the author's heart toward God at a very specific moment in time. We can learn from these women because they processed through their life experiences in a way that points us right to our big, powerful, mighty God, a God who can work through every experience and trial for his glory. Let's start by taking a look at Hannah. When we look at her story in 1 Samuel 1, we see that Hannah yearned for a baby. It was her heart's truest desire. She prayed for a child, she hoped for a child, and for years her prayers weren't answered. Many of you can relate to that struggle. Even though she had a husband who loved her and a relatively privileged lifestyle, her deepest yearning was still unmet. Her womb was still closed. Add to that sorrow a challenging relationship with Penina, her husband's second wife, a woman who was high maintenance, liked to push buttons, and seemed to find every opportunity to provoke Hannah. This was most likely not how Hannah envisioned her life, turning out when she married her husband. She probably didn't anticipate dealing with a contentious household rival or never having the children that her heart desired. 1 Samuel 1 uses insightful words to describe her during this difficult time. She was provoked, irritated, weeping, distressed, afflicted, troubled in spirit, anxious, and vexed. Can you imagine the imaginary black and white snapshot of her at this time in her life? Perhaps she wore a strained plastic smile on her face at yet another family gathering one that was obviously hiding her inner emotional turmoil as she went through the motions of daily life. Have you been in that place? Struggling, suffering, experiencing invisible pain and feeling that no one would understand? I know I have, and I know that many of you have. In that place of desperation, we can learn from Hannah's actions. She went to the Lord. She knew that only the Lord would understand her pain and anguish. She knew that he would hear her. She knew that he would understand her heart's greatest desire. She beseeched him and she cried out to him. 1 Samuel 1.15 says that she poured out her soul before the Lord. She was so desperate, so real, and so vulnerable before the Lord that Eli, the high priest, thought she might be drunk. And in that moment of vulnerability before the Lord, Hannah finally experienced peace. 
1 Samuel 1.18 says that she went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. To Hannah's great joy, not long afterwards, the Lord answered her desperate, humble prayer. He gave her a son, a son named Samuel, which means I have asked for him from the Lord. He heard her prayer. He heard every word and saw every tear. He understood her anguish, and it pleased him to answer in the way her heart desired. 1 Samuel 1.27 reflects her gratitude. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. God met Hannah in her most desperate moments. In the midst of her suffering, he molded her and shaped her and helped her to understand his character in a deeper and more profound way. As a result of her suffering and her deeply personal encounter with the Lord, she saw him more clearly. We see the evidence of her relationship with God in her prayer in 1 Samuel 2. You can follow along in your Bibles or in your workbooks. Verse 1, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Hannah begins in verse 1 by describing how her heart exalts in the Lord and how she rejoices in his salvation. She recognizes that all she has is directly from him alone. And she declares that there is no one anywhere who is like him. In verse 2, she refers to God as her rock, the strong foundation upon which she can stand. These are words and affirmations spoken by a woman who has personally felt weak, broken, and desperate. Her foundation, her expectations, and the goals she had for her life were turned upside down. It was in her brokenness and disappointment that she truly began to understand how her God is a solid, reliable, unchanging, never-moving rock. Later in 1 Samuel 22, David, a man who was anointed by grown-up Samuel, also talks about God as his rock after experiencing deliverance from his enemies. He says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in who I take refuge. And later in the same chapter, he says, The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. Hannah, a woman who experienced deep pain and disappointment, knew firsthand what it meant to rely on God as her rock. 
In her most vulnerable, weakest moments, she experienced a strong foundation that only God can provide. And I bet there are many of you here who understand this aspect of God's character in a more profound, profound way as well. Maybe someone you thought was reliable and trustworthy let you down or betrayed you. Or maybe something in your life that seemed certain just fell apart and didn't come to fruition. Or maybe life is just crazy hard and you constantly feel like you're straining to find solid footing. It's there in the heartbreak and struggle that God's solid, unchanging, never moving, always true, and reliable character is a refuge and a fortress. Hannah ran to that place and found comfort there, and you can too. In verse 3, Hannah recognizes her weakness and acknowledges that before the Lord, there is no room for pride. A woman who knows that the Lord closed her womb and then opened it for his glory and purposes knows that before God, there's no room for pride. There's no room for demanding her own way or for thinking she knows more than he does. She knows that the fact that she is standing and worshiping upon the solid rock is only because of him and his work on her behalf. She knows that he knows best and that his purposes are always good. Hannah goes on to speak of the unexpected ways God works out his will. She points out several reversals to commonly held assumptions. For example, in verse 4, the most powerful find their weapons broken and the weak are suddenly strong. In verse 5, those that have never been hungry are suddenly desperate for food and the hungry are filled. Also in verse 5, the woman who is barren suddenly finds her arms full of children. In verse 7, the poor become rich. And in verse 8, the poor are suddenly given a place of great honor. These statements about God show that his ways are not determined by the world's formulas. He's not bound by our assumptions and predictions. Instead, he can overturn anything he wants to to accomplish his purposes. In these magnificent reversals is a tremendous amount of hope for us. If we expand this concept, that means that no matter how hard your unbelieving son or daughter's heart is, no matter how antagonistic they are toward the gospel, God can change it. It means that your struggling marriage is not destined to stay that way. And it means that there is a way of escape for the eating disorder, the depression, the anxiety, the shame, the feelings of being a failure. None of it is outside of God's power. He can redeem all of it and reverse all of it. And those magnificent reversals are for his glory. Let's take a look at Mary's prayer next. If we were to look at a black and white photograph of Mary taken right before Gabriel showed up and gave her the news about her coming pregnancy, what would we see? We would probably see a smiling young teenager who struggled through all the things that teenagers typically struggle through, fears, uncertainties, doubts, and insecurity. And yet, we would see a girl who even in the middle of all that knew who God was. We would see a girl who trusted the Lord and who is being shaped and prepared by him for this very moment. We can discern that through her response to Gabriel. When Gabriel told her not to be afraid, she listened and she accepted his message. She famously stated, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. 
She had just received a very unexpected call on her life, one that would, quite frankly, turn everything upside down. All her plans, all her goals, all her hopes were suddenly cast into question, and yet she trusted God. She responded with complete faith and a surrendered heart. Not even her much older relative, Zechariah, responded that way when he first heard that his life would take a surprising turn, and he was a priest. We don't know exactly how Mary, or how God prepared Mary for this unexpected calling, but he did. He was working long before Gabriel showed up, working in her heart, guiding her understanding, and giving her ears to hear and eyes to see. God didn't leave Mary alone in her calling to carry the Son of the Most High. He was working to encourage her and shape her every step of the way, even after Gabriel left. My heart is warmed when I read of Mary's encounter with her relative Elizabeth. When Elizabeth saw her and she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Uh, by that time, she had had time to let her pregnancy sink in and those words must have been tremendously affirming, an encouragement to a young girl who was probably afraid. I love to picture what their months together must have been like. A young girl and a much older woman, both experiencing unexpected pregnancies. Oh, to hear how they must have shared their hearts with one another and talked and prayed over their babies late into the night. God provided Mary with Elizabeth as a companion and mentor when she needed her most. He also provided Hannah as a type of mentor. While Mary didn't know Hannah personally, she probably knew Hannah's story very well. Most likely, her family taught her about Hannah and Samuel from the time she was very young. Hannah's prayer of thanksgiving, uttered as she dedicated her son to the Lord's service, made a powerful impression on Mary and probably inspired parts of her response to her pregnancy. We can see that when we read her prayer in uh, Luke 1, 46 through 55, which is also in your books. Verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Notice that Mary also begins her prayer of thanksgiving with praise. Hannah exalted the Lord and jubilantly declared what he had done and lifted up his name. Mary magnifies the Lord. She glorified him. Both women point directly to a God who saves. To Mary, a God who saves must have taken on special meaning. The son she was carrying was to be named Jesus, or God will save. Did she fully understand the world-changing implications of that name? Maybe. Maybe not. But she understood enough to know that this baby, this promised one, was a gift from God, who loves his people enough to provide a savior. 
When one's heart is truly magnifying the Lord and his salvation, one must simultaneously recognize her own position before a great and magnificent God. Mary, like Hannah, acknowledges her position as a humble servant, one who has received great favor even though she did not deserve it. That's mercy. She reflects on the fact that he who is mighty and holy has chosen to look upon her in her humble estate. Next to God, she realizes how small and insignificant she really is. She recognizes her position and glorifies God for his. Mary reflects on the way God has shown her mercy in verse 49 when she says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She then expands on the theme of mercy when she considers the way God has shown mercy to her people. In verse 54, she says he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Mary, a girl who had obviously grown up hearing about Yahweh, knew that when Gabriel told her that her son would occupy the throne of his father David and that he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, that this baby she was carrying was a direct answer to her people's prayers uttered for generations. Isn't that amazing? You see, God didn't just hear Mary's prayer, he heard Israel's prayer and was answering it right before her eyes and he, she got to play a part in the whole thing. In verse 50, Mary also declares that his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. That refers to us. Mary was giving thanks to God for his mercy to her, his mercy to her people, and his mercy for generations to come for all those who fear him. Continuing in her prayer, Mary, like Hannah, also ponders God's ability to perform miraculous reversals. She points in verse 50 to 51 to how he scatters the proud. In verse 52, he brings down the mighty and exalts the humble. And in verse 53, he fills the hungry and sends the rich away empty. Mary recognizes that a God who can overturn the proud, the mighty, and the rich, a God who can make someone like her into someone that all generations will call blessed, a God who keeps his promises and has mercy upon his people, this God is worthy of being magnified. When we seek to apply God's ability to reverse the patterns of this world, it's important that we remember that it applies not just to ourselves, but to our loved ones as well. Our God is big enough, mighty enough, and good enough to redeem the difficult situations our loved ones are walking through. Moms, grandmas, aunts, friends, God can redeem the hard things your loved ones are going through and use them for his glory. He can, in his sovereignty, use impossibly difficult circumstances to shape them into his image. He can reverse any situation and mold it to his purposes. It might just be me, but I have an easier time accepting God's sovereignty over my own hard situations than I do over the hard things that my children face sometimes. Too often I want to jump in and fix things, make them better. Basically, I want to reverse things according to my own purposes and in my own time, like right now. But when God does it for his purposes, something much, much greater will be accomplished. Mary and Hannah were both eventually called to surrender their children to God's greater purposes. Hannah prayed her prayer of thanksgiving as she was surrendering her three-year-old. 
Samuel to a life of service in the temple. She exalted God and his goodness, even in what must have been a really hard thing. That's because she trusted him and his purposes, purposes that transcended her plans and dreams for her son. And thank goodness she did. God used Samuel mightily for the good of God's people, equipping him to provide shepherding and guidance at a crucial time in Israel's history. When God heard Hannah's prayer, he didn't just answer her heart's desire by providing a child. He filled her with the faith she needed to do what he had called her to do. God's answer and his purposes were much, much bigger than Hannah could have ever dreamed. Mary prayed her prayer of thanksgiving before she truly understood how God would use her son and what he would accomplish for humanity. Before she faced having to surrender him to a death that would redeem everyone who trusted in him. Millions of people over the course of generations feared him and received mercy. Even though she didn't completely understand all of this, because God had given her a humble, surrendered heart, she stepped out in obedience and faith. God heard her, strengthened her, and equipped her for the humbling task of raising and surrendering this little boy, the Son of God. He never left her alone, and he never once stopped hearing. God heard both of these women, and he hears you. Every prayer you utter, every tear you cry, we can look to Hannah and Mary's stories and be encouraged. We can let them be mentors to us. When we don't know how to trust, what to think, or how to pray. When our lives take unexpected twists and turns, when we face unimaginable disappointments, we can, like them, pour out our hearts before him. We can exalt and magnify his name, and then we can reflect on his power, his goodness, and his sovereignty. This will lead us to worship to surrender, to faith, and to peace. Let's pray. Lord, I am mindful today that there are women in this room who desperately need to know that you hear them. I pray that you would strengthen them to pour out their hearts before you today, on their own or with a friend. I pray that they would be comforted and strengthened by your love, your grace, your mercy, and your power. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>